0: We all are are living under pressure, pressure from all directions. Sometimes we feel it uh, like peer pressure from your friends to to do something you know is wrong or pressure from your boss to cut corners in an area that that forces you to lie about something to a client. Other times, the pressure is just part of the world that you barely notice. We all face it. We all face pressure. And if you're a person of, of faith, if you're a Christian, you're experiencing certain types of pressure that have the potential to damage or even destroy your faith, or at least to change it so much that it becomes unrecognizable. We're beginning a series today called Life Under Pressure because dealing with pressure takes recognizing it and doing something about it. And and the truth is, if you follow Christ, you don't have to face these pressures alone. In fact, Jesus has given us a way out of these pressures, a a way to live differently. And so this is what the book of Colossians, which is a letter to the church in the town of Colossae. It was what it was written about. And this is why we're gonna take the next eight weeks or so and we're gonna dig deeply into this book together. Colossae was an agricultural town and, and really at the time the letter was written, it wasn't even that significant of a place. It was in an area called Phrygia on the Lycus River, which is in modern day Turkey an earthquake probably destroyed the city in 61 or 62 AD and it was never rebuilt. And therefore we know that the letter must've been written before then. And so basically less than 30 years after Jesus was crucified, this letter was written. The, the author was Paul who was the greatest apostle and missionary of the early church. He planted many, many churches. He would establish them. He would establish leadership and then he would move on writing letters to encourage and train and, and, and challenge them with what it meant to follow Jesus. Now, if you've ever found the Bible hard to understand, raise your hand, right? You are not alone. Trying to understand a letter like this is kind of like hearing one side of a phone call and trying to figure out who's on the other phone and what they are talking about. But if you will commit to, to being here every week, to digging into this with me, I, I believe not only will we understand what Paul is getting at, I believe what he is getting at has the power to transform your life forever. Now, Paul had a reason for writing this letter. He had a concern. And it was that these new Christians in Colossae might become unanchored from Christ and dash their confidence and their hope in him. There was a false uh, philosophy, as he calls it, that they were facing. Certain people were putting a ton of pressure on, on them and it had the potential to cause the church and these believers to completely lose their faith. Now, Paul wanted to curb this false philosophy and to confirm the Colossians' faith. He wanted them to take care that no one preyed upon them, that no one lured them into deceit. His letter was like this booster shot in their arm, trying to inject deeper faith and more confidence in who Jesus is and therefore who they were. Now there's a verse from chapter two that sums all of this up and it's gonna be kind of our theme verse for this series. It says this, "'So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul was worried. He was worried about their confidence, their faith in Christ and the criticism that they were taking from from Jewish critics outside the Christian faith who were telling them that Gentile Christians who, who weren't Jewish first weren't really Christians at all. And and there were a lot of Gentile Christians around who would be like most of us. They were telling them only Judaism offered what they longed for. And so there was this this pressure to conform to something other than Christ, to to press them into a different mold, a, a pressure to change their beliefs, to fit into this cultural mold around them. And this is exactly where, if you're a Christian, you find yourself today, you have pressures all around you, some some of them you see, others you don't, to conform, to change what you believe, to pick your feet up in the current and just go with the flow of things, to do things because they're convenient and, and non-controversial rather than to do things because Christ asks you to. So they faced opponents who challenged and made fun of them for putting all their hope in Christ, And we live in a society today where it regularly looks down upon the Christian faith. A lot of us have become uncertain of our faith and, and therefore we don't hold on to it boldly. Uh, and all of this criticism, it, it adds up and it eats away at the foundation of weak faith. If you're a Christian, you, you, you've no doubt been tempted at some point to give in to give in to the criticism, to, to the scoffers, to the laughers around you. you. You may have traded your faith in for the latest belief system or fad. And, and Paul would say, and he will say to us in this book, that when you do that, you return to the darkness where the rulers of this age hold power. If you don't understand your faith, the temptation is to water down the gospel and to accommodate the culture. Now, you'll, you'll do to your faith what, Thomas Jefferson did to his Bible. You'll, you'll cut out everything that offends and leave in the things that don't. And Paul wrote Colossians to help them grasp even more firmly who Jesus is and and the vastness, the richness of everything that God has done in and through him. When, when you feel pressure from outside challenges, you have, and you have little confidence in your faith, you'll be shaken. Our, our hope in walking through this amazing book together is that you will find assurance and trust in the hope that you have in Christ. Now, he's going to say to us over and over again that, um, God's creation has a divine purpose and it all culminates in and through Christ. That Christ is supreme and all sufficient and that he is the fullness of God. And so the goal is to live with a deep sense of gratitude for what God has done for you in Christ. And when you don't live with that gratitude, you just get covered up by anxiety and and you find security in something other than Jesus. But Paul says to the Colossians, be thankful for the victory that has already been won by Christ on the cross and through his resurrection, that salvation's found in no one else. And you don't need anything more. The book of Colossians, Paul argues that if you're a Christian, you not only need to be grounded in your faith, you also need to live lives above reproach because the goal is to live lives worthy of the Lord, pleasing to God, bearing spiritual fruit that will help others around you see and follow Jesus. And so with that in mind, I want us to dig into this profound book by by simply starting with the first two verses, okay? Here's how it begins. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, uh, when he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, he means, I'm someone who was sent out to preach the gospel of Christ to the world. Uh, and that is, in, in a general sense, what an apostle was. Sometimes people think he's being cocky or arrogant when he says he's an apostle, but he wasn't trying to prove himself. He didn't need to do that. He wasn't defending himself against anybody or, or anything. He was just stating a fact. And he says it was by the will of God, th- this was him saying that Christ called and empowered him to carry on this divine task. And he's reflecting back on his own story. We all have a story, Paul did too. And, and he, he was then known as Saul, who was a Jew who was persecuting Christians. He was having them beaten and imprisoned and, and in some cases killed. You may remember that story. Jesus confronts him while he's riding his horse and he knocks him to the ground and and blinds him and Saul has this incredible conversion experience where Jesus says, now you are gonna build my kingdom. And he subsequently changes his name to Paul and then he identifies himself, uh, to, identifies himself to them, which, which begs the question, how do you identify yourself? How do you see yourself? What is your primary identity? What, what do you say when people ask you what you do? mom, dad, businesswoman, businessman, friend, daughter, son, wife, husband. Paul could have said tent maker. That was his actual profession. He could have led with his educational accomplishments. He was a highly educated man. Instead, he says the thing that is most important to him, apostle. And and, and then he says, and, and Timothy, our brother, he includes Timothy as a co-sender of this letter. And and Timothy also played that role in like five other letters that Paul, Paul sent. He was like Paul's younger brother or like a son to him. Paul trusted Timothy, he worked with him, he sent him on important assignments. What we mainly see here is that Paul is saying, what I'm getting ready to say to you is not just my opinion. I'm not uh, like this maverick, I'm not this Lone Ranger, I don't just stand alone and, and fire off like a loose cannon. He says, I have a team of servants of the gospel I work with and this letter is a reflection of that. There's a consensus on what I am writing to you. The church strives for unity and and it needs more of that and less of this Lone Ranger cowboy pastor who don't, who doesn't listen to others and has no real accountability. Like the main thought I want to draw your attention to with, with the time we have left today though, is in verse two, it says to God's holy people in Colossae, the, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our father, Now this was originally written in Greek and in the Greek there's something called uh, parallelism that, that happens in this verse and it's actually important to bring that point out because what it says literally is to God's holy people in Colossae, in Christ. In Colossae, in Christ. What it is reinforcing by saying it that way is that they may live in Colossae but they really live in Christ. You may live in Huntersville but you really live in Christ. You may live in Cornelius, you may live in Mooresville, you may live in Davidson or Charlotte or somewhere in the United States, but you really live in Christ. That's your primary residence. It's like on the forms you have to fill out sometimes when, where it asks, what is your primary residence? I mean, the real answer is in Christ. Now, now don't put that out on your form. You will invite unnecessary attention to yourself. But Paul is saying, yes, you live in Colossae, but you are in Christ. And he will spend the rest of his letter talking about what that means. So what does that mean to be in Christ? It, mean, it means a lot. It means kind of like everything, but I want to share with you five things that it means for those of you who are Christians, meaning that you've willfully entered into a life-giving, a life-saving relationship with Jesus, the savior. The first thing it means is this to be in Christ means that he encompasses your entire life. In other words, you may be a Huntersvillian or Davidsonian or or a Cornelian (laughs) uh, or an American or or let's take it a different direction. You may be a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, but your primary identity, in fact, the only identity that matters to God is that you are a Christian, which means Christ determines everything about your life. What does that mean? His death becomes your death. His burial becomes your burial. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. His victory becomes your victory. And we're gonna talk more about this during the series, but this is not Christianity plus, like Christianity plus something else. That's one of the things that the Colossian Christians were being tempted to do, to add something to their faith. And for them, it was Christianity plus certain Jewish practices that would add it in, change their faith so much that it wasn't even Christianity anymore. With us, it's Christianity plus health and wealth. Like this will make you rich and healthy or Christianity plus nationalism. This is about making our country what it used to be or Christianity plus pieces of other religions or new age beliefs. This is about making me feel good all the time about myself. The idea of Jesus plus is called syncretism and it is subtle and pervasive and Paul is trying to root it out. And we're gonna get into that more as the series goes on, but it's important now to be aware that this was an issue then and it is an issue for us today. Second thing is this, to be in Christ means that you are joined to Christ and to no other. For the Colossians, it was that you can't be both like in Isis or in Artemis or any other God or goddess and also be in Christ. What's that like for us? Well, you can't be in Oprah and in Christ. You can't be in President Biden and in Christ. You can't be in Trump and in Christ. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have political leanings. You're human, so you do. It's just that if you are in Christ, that should supersede everything in your life. Also, he says to be in Christ. Well, to be in Christ means that he determines your behavior. You you can't be into drugs or into magic or into pornography or just in the world in general and be in Christ Being in Christ means that he determines your behavior, not your group of friends, not another part of your life that you're holding back from him. There's a fourth thing that it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ means that believers are inseparably joined to him. In, in, In Romans 8, Paul says it very strongly, neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord when you're in Christ there's nothing that can separate you from him there's nothing that can get in the way there's nothing that can come between you and Christ no matter how distant you may feel or any on any given day and then the fifth thing to be in Christ also means that believers are joined to a new family. The dividing lines that separate and categorize people have been erased. Blood ties, racial and ethnic ties are still there, but they are outweighed and overruled by mutual faith in Christ. That means you have an identity beyond your race, beyond your family. Paul calls the Christians, many of them he's probably never met, Brothers and sisters. Now, now, a Jewish man in that day would not typically call a Gentile man, a non-Jewish person, brother. But they were both Jewish and Gentile Christians in this church. And Paul says, you're brothers, your sisters. The gospel's radical. It sweeps away all the prejudice that keeps people from isolating from each other. The things you think you have in common with people, well, that may not be the deepest thing you actually have in common. And the, and the people in your life, or the people you choose to keep out of your life, it just might be that, that you have more in common with them than you realize. It doesn't matter where you live, where they live, what race you are, what your socioeconomic status is. When you are in Christ, when we are in Christ together, all those things are secondary. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. The bottom line is that being in Christ changes everything, that Jesus changes everything everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. This is why you have to decide if you are just nibbling around the edges of this thing, or if you're all in, because you can't be in the world and in Christ all at the same time. It doesn't work that way. God will not be mocked. You can't play both sides of this. And the truth is what you most want, you will never have unless you relent, unless you surrender unless you go all in. But what you need is completely within your grasp. And it starts with the realization that Jesus can change everything. And if you're in him, he's given you a new identity, a new relationship, a new family, the potential to make significant impact in your world, all the things that you actually really wanted. So my question to you is, are you in Christ? Or are you just in Huntersville and Charlotte and Mooresville and Cornelius. Are you, are, are you simply in your own life with your family, your career, your life there, looking in from the outside, feeling the pressures and sometimes giving in? You wanna really know how to live and not feel the pressure anymore from the outside world? Begin to live in Christ. Begin to live in him because Jesus really changes everything. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you are the one who can change everything, that you are the one who calls us into a a deeper and better life, and that you invite us to live in you, to live in Christ. And that means that we step away from the things that that are drawing our attention away from you, and we step into you. Would you just give us the power and the strength and the ability to do that? And for those of us who are feeling the pressures right now of the world, the pressures from our jobs, from our friends, from our school, from all the the places in our world that exert pressure on us and want us to question our faith, would you give us your strength? Would you give us a deep sense of your presence? We're grateful that we don't have to walk through these pressures alone. We pray in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.